Welcome to the Fitness and Color Podcast, where we follow and highlight the experiences of people of color in the wellness and fitness industry, telling their stories in their own words. First off, my brother is a Harvard graduate, and you guys love to wear your Harvard shirts, yo. <laughs> I know, I'm repping. <laughs> Y'all stay repping. Always. 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 Welcome to the show. Today we have uh, our guest is a writer. She's an advocate for women empowerment. She's a podcaster. She's an athlete, first team all Ivy indoor selection, three time all Ivy outdoor selection. She won both the 100 meter outdoor and the 60 meter indoor races at the Ivy League championships in 2019, respectively. You seem to rise to the occasion. Welcome to the show, Gozi Musa. Thanks for having me so much. Thank you. And I forgot to add, you have a corporate career. Yes. So I work as a healthcare um, a marketing specialist at a healthcare startup. Nice. Um, so uh, super excited to have you on the show today. Um, do you want to add anything to your bio or kind of like give us an overview of who you are in your own words? Yeah. So it's always interesting. Everyone pronounces my name as God or Ngazi, but it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. But I pronounce it as Gazi, and I changed it when I Gazi. when I was a little younger. But um, yeah, I'm a marketing specialist at a healthcare startup. Was an Ivy League champion and captain of the women's track and field team, and just living life, doing both. <laughs> Let's go! And you graduated in 2019, right from uh, from Harvard? Yes. So you're a sprinter. I'm a sprinter. I you know I don't like to always insert myself, but I tend to do, but I'm a sprinter. I have a sprinting background, 100, 200, four by one, four by four, but, um, the best yeah, races, those, those are the best. Those, yeah. Those are the heydays. I mean, I haven't sprinted competitively since high school. Wow. Um, I got into sprinting junior and senior year, and then I broke all the records my senior year. And so I, I didn't run in college. Yeah. Um, but I missed the feeling of towing the line on the blocks ready set and then it's just like out of the blocks as quick as you can and just Just tunnel vision go tunnel vision don't even know what happens in 11 seconds you're just gone silence yeah silence um so cool um yeah so i wanted to uh so i want to get started kind of at the beginning we're going to go chronologically um through your experiences um as a woman of color in sport and fitness growing up um, and then going into your professional life and kind of what you're doing as an entrepreneur um, and all the inspiring stuff that I found on you. Um, so yeah, so tell me about kind of your childhood and who you were growing yeah. up. So I grew up um, actually in the Midwest um, and grew up playing soccer. Um, so I played club soccer for eight years, um, played ECNL, which is the elite clubs national league um, and grew up in all white spaces my entire life. Um, went to an all girls uh, Catholic school for high school, went to a predominantly white grade school, um, Christian school, and kind of grew up in spaces that looked a lot like that and grew up playing sports. My mom was a high jumper in college. My dad was a soccer player. So sports okay. was a big part 
of how we grew up and that we're always out and about, always at soccer tournaments, always traveling across the country. Um, so that was a lot of my childhood, just school and sports. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I am the youngest of two older brothers. So we all played soccer and I was the only one that played soccer all the way up through, what was I, 14? My brothers, they were over it. They started to play sports. <laughs> I see it as it's always the younger of the siblings that either become great, <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan, <laughs> yeah. um, or even um, uh, who's uh, who's the tennis champ right now, um, Naomi Osaka. Yeah, she's yeah. A young, she's a younger sister. Yeah. Um, Does she have two older brothers? I'm sorry? Does she have two older brothers? No, she has one older sister. I got it. Um, I don't know who's is Venus is older than Serena, right? I think I always yeah. think Serena was older than Venus, but it might be the other way. Well, let's for the purpose of this conversation. Yeah. Serena's younger, so it's always the it's the younger it's the younger uh, the younger siblings or a sibling that um that can I guess muster all that, take it from your sibling, and then just be great. So yeah, true. And it's always the pride. And I was my dad's pride and joy because I I was the one who continued on with soccer, and when I quit, he was heartbroken. But then I took up track, so he was fine. <laughs> Nice. What what year? Uh, what uh, grade did you take up track? Is it like so a high I was school? Nine. Motion, right? I was nine oh, when I man. first started running. So I ran at the Hershey Track and Field meet, um, and did the state, the district, all that jazz. Went to Pennsylvania, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and ran in my first real track and field championship and got first place at nine years old. Um, and that wow. was like, this is it. We're running track. We're quick. We have we have that gun. We have that speed. I love it. That's dope. Yeah, I wish I got in the town, oh, man. I just miss sports. Yeah, I feel like I feel like an old late uh, old man talking about like, oh, back in my day. <laughs> but like, I had such a short window. Um, I only played like competitive sports in high school. So the four years before that, I was you know running in the streets in the inner city, just picked up you know skills here and there. But yeah, uh, I miss it. Um, cool. So uh, you picked up track pretty early. So you played through high school. Yeah. I'm guessing you you were pretty good at all the schools you went to. <laughs> well, I it's funny. So I played tennis um my freshman year. Um and I played basketball my freshman year. I actually played with Enrique Gumboale. Um oh, wow. I, I I played soccer with her and then played with her for a little bit um in our high school team sophomore year, but then I quit basketball and was done with that and just focused solely on track. And when I moved halfway through high school um to Seattle, that's when I was like, okay, Guys, you need to pick a sport junior year and stick with it because I was getting offers when I was younger for soccer and I didn't continue that on and knew that track was something I wanted to do in college. Um, so I really dialed in and was like, okay, we're going full force with track and getting specific training with that. Awesome. And then so you ended up at Harvard. So you've had to also been excellent at academics. <laughs> well, it wasn't always sunshine um, and daisies and roses with that. Um, it actually took me a while to f get green lighted on my ACT score. So I was I had test anxiety and dealing with all those different things and being a perfectionist um, and ended up taking the ACT four times, four different times. My score went up by five, five points. My score went up by five points in the last time. And ended up going and getting an likey letter and um, getting an offer to the school, but it was not all smooth sailing for me. <laughs> I was like the total opposite. I was like, I'm gonna take this one time, and it is what it is. I was, <laughs> I, I definitely had testing anxiety, yeah. but I guess I didn't, I didn't like try to do it more than once. I was like, mm, I'm good. <laughs> 
Oh, man, I, I don't I don't miss those those tests. Neither do I. Um, <laughs> and so uh, you had mentioned a bit about being in white spaces. Yeah. Growing up in white spaces. When did you start to notice you were growing up in white spaces? Yeah, I think I noticed it more so from a young age. Um, just like noticing like how I experience white spaces, but also just like almost like this like this concept of running from my blackness. Because growing up in a white space, um, a lot of times like being black in that space people see you as like an oreo or they see you as like oh you're not black but but then what am i so then it was like this concept of not really knowing how to embrace my blackness but also that added extra uh dilemma or detail of being a uh, a daughter of immigrants my parents are from nigeria and sierra leone and my mom was born here but lived in nigeria and sierra leone um, a majority of her life so that dual culture and being almost like a third culture kid and trying to figure out where do I fit between this America, this black America, this white America in that, and then also my Nigerian and Sierra Leonean heritage. So it growing up, it was a little bit of a difficulty for me to figure out how to embrace my blackness. And I felt myself not necessarily embracing it, but at times running for it or people seeing it as a way of fear for me. Um, so me trying to figure out how can I make people less afraid of me, um, I think is one thing that I feel like I went through when I was younger. Nice. So I could totally relate on the, the immigrant, um, immigrant kind of parents and immigrant culture and coming into this country as an immigrant. Um, it's just so different, right? Like I had talked about this on an early episode, how in this country they pit you against the people at the bottom and coming as an immigrant, like the, you come in, you know, you're going for the American dream yeah. and your kids are going to do whatever it takes. And you're not going to be associated with anyone that's, uh, that's viewed upon as like um, not helping you get into where you go. So a lot of that time you're pitting those immigrant families, black immigrant families, right. Yeah. Against black Americans. Yeah. And it seems like your parents went straight to the suburbs. So tell me about like, did that ever play a role like in your yeah. household? I feel like a big a reason or a big, we grew up a lot with education being such an important part of our lives. Like my parents, um, my mom was an MD, my dad was a PhD and like their parents always instilled this importance of education. And so I feel like the reason my parents kind of picked where we're going to live, picked how they educated us was because of education and where the best education was, knowing that education gives opportunity. Um, and so that was a big part of my life. And by reason why I grew up where I grew up is education basis and reason why, um, just to have a better education and be able to, um, be educated in, in the best way possible, I think was my parents, um, main goal. And then, um, a lot of it was probably like, keep your head down and keep moving. Right. Yeah. Head down. Uh, man, I can, yeah, I, I hear that. Um, so I, I had read somewhere that you didn't start embracing your blackness until you were 20, yeah. which puts you in college. So what happened there um, that that kind of brought that to the forefront for you? Yeah. So it was in 2017 um, when Unite the Right rally happened. Um, it was kind of one of those awakening moments for me because I feel like my blackness was something that I really struggled with um, in high school, especially um, going to a predominantly white school. I always felt like 
one, I was not black enough to be black or be to be called black, but I wasn't white enough because I wasn't white. So I lied in this intersection of not really knowing who I was and what that looked like. Um, and then in 2017, when everything happened there, 2017, 2018, I really had to take a step back and realize like, like you can't escape racism. You can't escape like racism by capitalism, by education, by like elitism, like what if you're black you're black in america no matter your race no matter your ethnicity no matter your nationality no matter your connection to your ancestral history you're still black and that moment for me was realizing like why am i running from this i need to embrace this and i need to use this as a as a system and way um just to show but the diversity of black identity um and i think that's one thing that has been something that i learned even as a 20 year old like understanding that my black identity, it may be different than someone else's, but that doesn't negate my black identity. It's still a black identity and I can embrace that black identity. I shouldn't be ashamed of that or not feel like I have my own black identity or story to tell. Like no two identities are the same, but embracing that and embracing who I am and embracing my story um, can help other people who might have a similar experience um, be able to connect. Nice, nice. Yeah, I totally agree that black Although I will say that growing up um, and growing up in the inner city and growing up kind of like in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, we were mean as kids. Um, so I definitely fell in the category of this is how black is. This is what black means. This is black identity. And if you didn't act like that, you weren't treated black. You weren't you were called an Oreo um, and you were, you know, other black people were mean to you. Um, and I, you know, I hate to admit it, but I fell in that category. Um, and I didn't learn about, you know, the history, um, and just the thought of being able to embrace a different type of black. I just didn't give it any thought, um, until I was much older, but, um, and so, and so I definitely, I definitely understand that. Um, and I agree with you on that point. Um, and so growing up playing sports, being one of the only people of black, black, maybe one or two or three black people on your team. Um, I tend to remember or, or recall when I was in that experience, how there were slight microaggressions that I wouldn't have in the moment noticed or realized. But as I think back, I, I start to remember um, just even back to how they used to re refer to me um, as a, an athlete. Can you, can you relate to any of that? Can you speak on that? Yeah, 100%. When I, even when I played soccer, a lot of it was, it was Gazi's fast, Gazi's like quick, Gazi's aggressive, Gazi's strong, but it was less, it was like the more aggressive, strong, and like, it was all about your physical attributes, not necessarily about, oh, you're a leader or, oh, you um, are really skilled in this sport. So I think there was that balance of that. And then also growing up playing soccer, but also running track, a lot of the emphasis is put on your speed, not necessary, necessarily like your technical skill. And that's something that getting into college, I think, changed for me, one, having a black coach, and two, realizing that it's not just based on the talent and my speed. There's hard work that goes into it. There's skill. There's timing. There's all these little details that go into it. And it's such a detailed sport, track and field, when you get to the bare bones of it, um, help to reframe how I saw myself as an athlete and how I saw myself as a black woman in sport. Wow. Yeah coming out of the blocks very technical yeah saying guys you're 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 a beast you're fast but not saying oh that was a smart play that yeah. was a smart move 
Um, those are, those are just the small microaggressions that people just don't, they overthink them and don't think of, I mean, I, I didn't, that wasn't even, I don't think microaggressions was a term when I was growing up. So that went way over our heads. Yeah. Um, we can, you know, we can start to, to think about that. Um, and I, and I love that, uh, that you could think and remember vividly those situations. Um, and then, so you end up in college, 20, you're 20, you're embracing your blackness. You're a student athlete. Um, how, where, uh, where'd you go from, you know, after the unite the right rally? Yeah. I feel like I really took on, um, just a realization to be able to speak on my blackness. Cause I feel like before that I didn't feel like I, I, I had a blackness to speak on, but then realizing everyone has their own identity and being able to speak on that. That's when I first wrote my first Instagram post about being black in America. And that was, I feel like the one moment or the first moment that I felt like I could open up about my black identity and be honest with people who are both black and white in my circles about how I see my black identity. And what I noticed is it opened up a lot of conversation for people like growing up in an all white space. It opened up a lot of conversation for me and my white friends to talk about, this is what my black identity looked like in this space. And this is, a, and this is how I felt. And I didn't say it, but this is how I felt. And this is how we can make a change and work together in order to understand what blackness looks like and how do we how we accept people that don't necessarily look like us or act like us or walk or talk like us yeah because i bet you know i bet this is me assuming i bet that those friends that you that came from the past or friends that you had before who never saw you take a stance on, on black being black in america they had their own conceptions of who you are You're like oh yeah. gazi's not black gazi's just yeah. not one of us not really black gazi yeah so, like and that you never had any any issues like you you had a good growing up why are you talking yeah and it's interesting because it's like it's almost like you don't see like this concept of like okay i'm a black person in america and yes you're friends with me but then when you look at someone next door or someone that's down the street they're also black like we also have the we share we share the same color so i shouldn't be looked at as different than them we might have different black experiences but you have to it's basic human human understanding and human right and and choosing people and looking at people as like you're a human first so i should treat you as i want to be treated um so i think it's like understanding that you can have black friends but that doesn't mean that doesn't negate or mean you treat another black person differently because they're not your friend or they're not like your friend um i think that's like one one hard concept that is a lot of people in america are struggling with right now when you have a black friend but you don't know but like your black friend you think your black friends a certain way and they have a certain black identity and you then uh generalize that black identity across all black identities and you think there's a good black and a bad black no we're all black <laughs> yeah no i agree yeah and a lot of the times the people who like so, so so people that know you, right? The the the, the people that grew up in the communities that you did, they probably never came across like other black, you know, other types of black people or other black people with different identity, different experiences. So they're gonna associate their experiences to you and then what they see on TV. Um, and that's what they're gonna, you know, and that's what they're gonna associate with. So I think I think it's you know, it's good that you so it's good that you push that conversation and so how'd it go? I think it really well. It was, I think it was eye opening. And I think it's sometimes it's hard because it's like you see the moment in 2017 and then you see where we are as a country right now and the double pandemic that we're in. And I feel like people are starting to wake up to realize that 
this is a real issue in America, but it's something that as a black person, you've been dealing it, dealing with me personally for 23 years. And like you personally, you know what I mean? So it's like, people are just waking up to the reality that you're experiencing. And I think at first it's, it's difficult because it's like, how do you just now seeing this? But it's like when you never had to see it and you never had to understand someone else's diverse perspective or identity, you didn't necessarily, you weren't intentional about understanding it. Um, and then it's like the aspect of like, okay, now that people are understanding and realizing like we have different people in America, people experience racism, people experience inequalities. How can we help that? Like meeting each other halfway, I think is the key. And that's what I learned in 2017 too. I couldn't just be upset that this was happening and just blanket statement everyone who's a different race than me thinks this way I had to have conversation about it and through conversation is where you see real change in action and it's the awareness aspect that starts and then you have conversation and then you get to change in action um so just I think that has helped for people to like understand like yes I need to be aware of this too I need to have conversation about it but then there needs to be actual change in action within my sphere of influence I had a conversation with a friend yeah and I was trying to meet him where he was yeah or I thought it was a friend. And he was like, well, you know, black people don't really have any issues. It's because they choose, the reason why black women are single parents is because they choose to be single because they're, um, they rely on the social aspect. Like you get money from the Democrats if you are, um, if you're single. So then they choose not to have a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, affirmative action, affirmative action is bad um, because it's racist. And so like, talked about when you meet someone where they are yeah and it's actually hurt hurting it's hurtful where they are like how do you how do you bring them or how do you bring yourself out of that situation i think it's twofold it's grace and accountability like you can't have one or the other you can't have complete grace for things like that without accountability or keeping that person accountable um to what they're saying but you need both and i think for me i've realized like sometimes it's it's you as a black person, for me personally, I've been there's been moments where I'm like, okay, I'm shutting off all connection to everyone who doesn't agree with me. But at the same time, we need civil discourse and we need to discuss these things and need people to understand from the basis that like what they're saying is hurtful towards us. One, two, to talk about it, to talk through it in order in a way to get that resolution. But sometimes that resolution never comes. And I think that's like the hard aspect of it. When you sit with someone and you're talking about what you personally gone through and they don't understand it, it's trying to, it's almost like you're trying to reason with someone who doesn't want to reason. Um, and it, and sometimes it just, you have to walk away from that and knowing that like, even though I'm walking away from this, I'm understanding that I was able to speak my mind in the most gracious and cautious and kind way possible while still keeping them accountable and still standing my point, but then hoping that like they'll see it a different way sometime. Like I think it's hard because it's like you can't change people's minds if their minds and their hearts are a certain way. Like it has to be them choosing to actively and intentionally change their hearts and minds. And we can only we can only share our experiences and what we've gone through in order for them to hear that and hope in hopes that they'll have a change of heart and a change of mind. But that's where it starts. If you're if you're going into a conversation and someone already has an intention for you to be wrong, an intention on what they think in their heart and their mind, there's no way you're going to change their opinion or there's no way they're going to see your perspective. But if we can all approach conversations with an open heart and open mind and approach conversations with like, we recognize a new perspective and we're able to grow from there, like recognizing, receiving information and then 
learning how to like process that information and learning how to not just listen to listen, but, or not just listen to speak, but listen to listen, I think is super important, especially with everything that's going on in the country and people with differing opinions and having such a polarized conception of what this movement, what life looks like, what COVID-19 even looks like, just learning how to listen to listen. Yeah. Well, that's tough, but like you said, with grace, gotta, you, you have to meet people and, 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 and be graceful about it. Um, all right. So talk about kind of the, uh, you, you're an advocate for women empowerment and you have your own, um, your own platform called aesthetics and athletics, yep. uh, to inspire the athlete and every woman and every woman. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it started, I ended up going to the real world, um, had a job at a beauty conglomerate or beauty company in, in New York. And I realized a lot of it was, I almost lost this part of my identity. People would ask me like, Hey, what do you like to do? Like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, well, I ran track and field for 13 years. So (laughs) that part of my life is over. What do I like to do? Who am I? Like, what are my hobbies? Who, like, how do I define myself? And you almost kind of have this identity crisis after athletics where you're like, okay, great. How do I like, what do I like to do as movement? What do I like? Like all these things. Um, And I realized that I wasn't the only one going through that. I had almost this identity crisis and realized there's a lot of people that actually experience this aspect of losing that aspect of sport and trying to find it in different ways and ended up not working out for a full like six months, which was never like me. I'd worked out for 13 years, high intensity um, and just got super depressed and anxious and like not unsure about who I was and my value and ended up coming home, um, ended up asking myself a question with my therapist of like, who do I want to be and what does success look like to me? And arrived at this idea that like, also, how do I want to add value to the world and to who do I want to add value to, which is so important. Um, and arrived at this idea that one, I went to an all-girls school for four years. I love women. I love empowering women, especially because I feel like so many things are against us at the intersection, especially as a black woman at the intersections that we lie in. Like, we need more empowerment there. And then also, I love athletics. I've been an athlete my entire life. And just because I'm no longer a college athlete doesn't mean that I can't express my athletic ability in different ways. And my athlete identity transforms and doesn't just end. Um, So that's kind of my reasoning and where I started with aesthetics and athletics. And I had actually thought of the idea in 2018, but fear got the best of me in the sense I was like, well, I don't know if I can do it or if I'm too young or all these things, all these like limiting beliefs about myself um and then I was just like you know what we're doing it we're doing it and we're going and your first podcast is always going to suck but you have a second one your first anything is always going to be not as great as you want it to be but that's why you practice so it was just a whole process um to get where we are today but so glad I started it and and it's been able to inspire and empower so many women um and so many girls so it's been great awesome so it's a I'm guessing so it's a podcast and it's a platform. Do you and you write? You put articles? Yes. So we have started our blog part. I used to write a lot of articles and we're um, always looking for more people to write articles on their experiences, on how they see athletics. Um, we recently had a middle distance runner from Yale um, who also was um, she's a grad student and looks looked at the being in that middle distance between like sprinting being being a predominantly black sport and 
distance being a predominantly white sport and being in that middle distance where you kind of do both and seeing your seeing her place as a white woman in that space to be able to empower and inspire other black women and make space for more middle, middle distance runners who are not white um so it's been really cool to see how people see their experiences and we have a couple blog posts coming up that different people are writing but super exciting yeah that's super dope congrats that's uh that's awesome um so you're, you're obviously using athletics um, kind of as a platform. Um, and so why do you think sports is such a powerful tool um, to, to, that, that you're using it to try and bring about, about change? Yeah, I think sports is a powerful tool. I think uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said it best, like sports is our only hope um, to create change in a lot of ways um, because it's that great equalizer in a lot of ways. Like when you think about it, like you play a sport, you go into a sport as, at a young age, like soccer. I never necessarily saw myself as the black girl that played soccer. I saw myself as a, as a girl on a team playing with a, a group of people. It was a great equalizer, that sport connection, so that we can then have those conversations past sport of like, okay, we are connecting on the fact that we all play sports, we all run track, we all play basketball or play football. But there's a, there's a difference between us. I'm white, you're black. How can we engage in a conversation, understanding that there are similarities, but also embracing those differences. And I think that's where sport comes in best. It allows people to see like, hey, we can all be on the same team and understand each other from the sport perspective, but we can still also be on the same team and have different identities and still understand each other. Like it's a similar concept. We just have to embrace that both sides to it, like embracing that difference and also using that difference in order to make us stronger in order to understand different perspectives too. So I think sports is that, that middle ground that allows people to see like we can come together and play a sport, but we also can come together on issues that affect us differently and try to under gain understanding of each other. So yes, agreed on the sports team. If you're on a sports team, right? Like it's definitely a great equalizer in the moment. Um, especially you get to know each other and you get to know each other's identities and, um, and the sorts, but then you have the people who say the people who aren't on the team, right. And they're, and, and you see it in our country now when athletes are using their platforms for social change, then you have the people who say, shut up and dribble, yeah. keep, keep politics out of sports. I don't want, you know, I don't want this. I don't want to politicize this. So how, how do we, you know, get beyond that or how do we um, like tackle that? Well, I think the biggest thing is that we all have our spheres of influence and we all have our, like our lanes. And I think that's like huge, like using the lane you have, using the influence you have, whether it's big or small to make a change is important because when we look at the whole world in general, like, it's imploding on it on itself. Like we just, there's so many things going on that sometimes it's so it's almost one. It's sometimes it's discouraging. And two, sometimes it's hard to like grasp, but that we can make actual change because it seems so overwhelming. But if we're able to take and look at our specific sphere of influence and be like, how can I make change where I'm at? How can I make change for me? It's like, how can I make change in Seattle? How can I make change with the athletes that I know? How can I make change in through aesthetics and athletics? And that sphere and taking that on, I think is important. And then on the point that when people are like, athletes should just shut up and dribble, it's like athletes have been blessed with this platform, this platform to that you're watching. Like if you're going to put us, like if you're going to put an athlete, a black athlete and support them on the court, you best believe you're supporting them for social justice issues because that there's not, it's not like they're just athletes. 
They're more than athletes. They have an identity outside of athletics and they should be free to express that identity and free to express how they feel. And it's on the down, like down, it's down to it. It's just choosing people. Like it's not about politics. It's not about sides. It's about choosing people and choosing human life. And if we can all learn how to choose people, this world would be 10 times. It would just be radically changed but i think a lot of it comes down to oh well we're choosing this side or we're choosing this thing but no it's choosing people and choosing human life and choosing to put people before yourself i think is the biggest golden rule like that we just getting down to is so important that if we just simplify it as we just need to choose people and be there for people and add value to people like the world would look a lot different listen to you it's like super inspiring it's like you could just your thoughts and your ideas could definitely go a long way uh, in in inspiring people to to use their platforms. Um, so now that we're in this moment, well, we've been in this moment, double pandemic, as you said, um, the COVID-19, which is disproportionately affecting people of color. And then you have, um, you know, racial justice movements. Um, how can people like, I, I feel like we're in a moment, but I saw it on social media and then, I don't see it on social media anymore. Yeah, I still go back and look. I look. I look for for the allies that were talking about it three months ago, and they're not. It's not there anymore. Yeah. So, like, how do we take that moment? Have we lost that moment? How do we take that moment and turn it into something that's a bit bigger? I think that's the hardest thing. Um, even I struggled with of like, how do we not just make this a social media moment? How do we make this a movement? And this has been a movement like this is almost like a lot of times i look at it as like this is a second awakening of the civil rights movement like the civil rights movement didn't end stop and end with dr king it was just beginning and we have a long way to still go and i think it's learning how to diversify our movement so like social movements we all know that social media that's a trend like it's a trend to support black lives matter on social media like was a trend but the thing is there's more to that trend like it's like outside of just doing that how are you diversifying your internal circle how are you making movements whether it means making movements mentally like understanding mentally and emotionally like I need to change my movement and have conversations with people in order to talk about what's going on in the country and how we can make movements in our sphere of influence maybe it's spiritual like for me I had to take five weeks basically five weeks off aesthetics and athletics and off of Instagram because for me spiritually and emotionally it was tough to see black men black women killed across my feed over and over like it was like just something we're watching on reels was so hard and I had to take time off to diversify my movement mentally and emotionally and spiritually in order to then get back in the game like I think for a lot of there's two, it's twofold for a lot of um, black people it's like you're it's tiring it's it's hard to like sit there and have conversations and not necessarily feel like anything is good is coming of it and you're just like oh like like you're on like a, a turn wheel of like trying to figure out like saying things over and over again. Um, and it's learning how to diversify the movement in that and and figuring out, okay, when do I need to break? Like, when do I need to like bench myself and like, sit there and be like, okay, I'm benching myself for spiritual, mental, emotional growth and figuring out how to diversify my movement in that. And then getting back in the game and the game doesn't always look like on social media. It can look like having those conversations with that person right next door, that conversation with your colleague, having a conversation with your teammate and getting to the root of it. Because if you can have that one conversation 
with let's say a white teammate or a white person can have a conversation with a white person and then they have a conversation with their parents and their parents have a conversation with someone else's parents like that's where it starts it all starts with the conversation and the conversation to change in action um i think is important but yeah it's definitely hard to see it on social media and it be a trend and then see like no one talking about it or no one like posting about it or people just sharing about it and not committing to that change it's keeping people accountable to commit to that change so that means us all learning how to diversify our movement outside of social media in order to commit to that change. So guys, are you calling people out? (laughs) I mean, I'm calling myself out too. Like one of the biggest things was even in college, after college, I said, uh, there's a gate at Harvard that says, enter to grow in wisdom, depart to um, better serve thy kind in thy country. I'd ask myself, I said, how am I serving my black kind? How am I serving people that don't look like, that look like me, but might be a different socioeconomic status as me, might not have gone to the same school as me. And that was a moment of truth for me where I was like, Gazi, how are you helping people that aren't the same socioeconomic status as you? Like if you're going to claim the black identity in a lot of ways, for me, it was, if you're going to be black, you have to be all black and you have to help all black. It can't just be the people that go to the same schools. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of even personally me, it's like you run from, when you go to an Ivy League school, sometimes it's like you're running from that concept of what black looks like in order to beat it by elitism, by capitalism, by all these things. But it can't be beat. Like, look at Christian. Um, what's his name? Um, it was Karen in the park with Christian. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the bird watcher. Yes. Yes. He went to Harvard. But yeah. what I'm saying is you can't ex- you can't escape blackness. Like Christian Cooper. Yes. Christian Cooper. Yes. Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper, look at that. Like, you can't escape it. And it's like, no matter your degree, no matter your education, no matter what, like, you're still Black in America. And how are you going to help bring up people that might not have had, have had the same opportunity as you? Yeah, no, that's that's powerful. I, uh, it's interesting to hear to listen to you because, especially in taking a break and kind of, like, taking time for yourself, I, I uh, between 2014, when Michael Brown was killed, and 2016 – when uh, Trump was elected, I would, I was like, I would get in all these conversations and arguments on Facebook and I would constantly be at rallies and I would just hundred percent all in all the time. And then after the 2016 election, I was just so tired that I literally did not engage, follow, think about any of anything that happened after that. I just was just silent, quiet, go about my business, focus on other things. Even when, um, even when uh, this year, when uh, the killing started, so um, with Ahmaud Arbery, yeah, that one, I'm a runner. So that one yeah. touched me. Yeah, same. But I didn't go watch the video and, and, and like do a bunch of outrage. Then, and then George Floyd happened or Amy Cooper and, and that happened. That actually had me very upset. Um, a little bit, yeah, I had me very upset. But then when George Floyd happened, I honestly didn't watch the video or get into it yeah. until well until when I saw everyone else waking up because I just could not Bring put it. myself in a where I'm going to watch that, be angry about it, and just like let it go back to, to being normal again. Yeah. Um, it took me a bit of a while where then I started seeing it coming up in meetings for, for work. And, and so I was like, okay, so this is the time. All right, now I'm back in. And now I'm obviously back in 100%. But yeah. Um, so important to, to take time for yourself yeah um and getting back in the game is not the same like everyone plays a role yeah and everyone's role looks different like 
we're all part of the change and we all don't all have the same roles. Like some of it is through art. Like there's a lot of people that graphic designers, black graphic designers that have been designing things and posting on social media that have been shared by millions of people. And like there, we all have different roles in it and we all can use mm. our strengths to help forward the movement. And I think even for me, it was the hardest thing of just, it's like almost you go through a pattern of like watching this horrific event happen and then you have to feel it and then going, trying to go back to normal or trying to move on with your life. It's like sometimes a lot, in a lot of ways, you kind of sometimes become numb to it, but it's learning. I, I've had to learn how to not become numb to it because when we become numb to it, then we can't see the change of it and we can't enact that change and actually have action because that's what happens. Like sometimes people come become so numb to it that it's like, oh, it's just another black man or woman kill it, killed. No, like today it could be someone, tomorrow it could be my brother. So it was like one of those moments where I'm like, this is something that we can't just start and stop. It needs to be a continuous change and continuous action in that in different ways in order to make that real change in action. Absolutely. And I, I definitely fall in the category of becoming numb to it. Um, I, I grew up in the inner city, shootings on my block on my street, a lot people, a lot of people I know um, have died, family, friends. And so I became numb to that type of violence at a very young age um, and just normalizing death. Um, and then, you know, and then the killings by police obviously started to normalize that as well and yeah. becoming numb to it. But I'm glad that we're all starting to wake up a bit and you gotta hold yourself accountable, like you said, like, yeah. am, I, am I doing my part? Um, and, and so it's very, yeah, it's very powerful. Um, awesome. Tell me about, uh, the no more names campaign. Yeah. So Chris Eggie started that. Um, and I work a little bit with him on that of just like trying to understand, like, we don't want any more names and we don't want any more people, um, and any more black, um, African-American black men and women being killed. Um, and so they're doing a lot of work on the college athlete aspect to get support there and figure out how can college athletes especially um, use their platforms and voices in order to create real change. Um, and a lot of things have happened. There were Player Tribune articles that came out with Pac-12, Big Ten, um, different organizations across the um, NCAA. The NCAA has now created um, election day is off. It's a dead day. So no one wow. can play sports. No one can do anything. Everyone needs to go and vote just like showing that like there's two sides to being a student athlete like just because you're an athlete on the court or or on, in the pool or on the on the field doesn't mean you can't have that other side of social activism that I think a lot of athletes have been afraid to use their platforms out of fear of what their coach or their team or like this like what the NCAA would say um but I think the NCAA is really understanding that like athletes have a platform for a reason they have a voice for a reason and they play their sports but outside their sports they're people and putting people first again in that respect um is where i think college athletes are 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 leaning and where no more names works to support that um as well as a lot of organizations um across the country that have been started by uh former previous or current student athletes yeah it's super dope i think athletes are starting to realize the power that they have um over these uh over these schools which have been which have taken advantage of student athletes since the beginning um of amateur sports so um very powerful yeah um but the american way is to pick a side yeah so, well, you know you're, it's, I, you're talking we train about ourselves like it's not about choosing sides it's about choosing people like love your neighbor as your first as yourself like that is the first golden rule like we just got to ch- learn how to choose people like not choose sides not choose parties like choose people 
Yeah, no, I hear that. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ask you about. Um, I read somewhere that you have a growth mindset, um, and so I wanted to talk to you about um, how you think having a growth mindset um, connects to the current movement for racial equity, um, because I think it ties a bit around like meeting people where they are, and also kind of understanding that you can't change everything at once. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So uh, I had a very fixed mindset in high school, um, believed that my talent was my talent and that was it. And I couldn't grow or change. Like uh, if I was bad at something, I was just not good at it. And there was no hard work involved. It was all talent. Um, So going into freshman year, my coach had me read Carol Dweck's growth mindset book changed my life, changed my world. Like the concept that you success, looking at success and failure in a different respect in a different way and looking at it as it's a process. It's not looking at the outcome, but looking at the process to get there and learning that you could get from point A to point B to C to D and then get to your final destination. It's not this one linear path to get everywhere um, was super important and it changed how I looked at success and failure. And I think that goes along the lines of like racial equity in the country, because when you're looking at it, like it's going to be a process. Like we're not going to get from point A to point B true equality in five seconds. Like it's going to be a process and it's going to take us a while, but that doesn't mean there isn't like, there isn't faith in the process and growth and hope in the process to get to the outcome. Um, so looking at like the event, like the event of like everything that's gone on in the country, it's how we respond to that event that then becomes the outcome. So it's like taking this event, taking this social movement, taking Black Lives Matter, taking everything that we know, responding to it within our own sphere of influence, within our schools, within our, within our sports, within our companies, creates the outcome for what the world we want to see looks like. Um, And so I think that's like this growth mindset concept of just like seeing it as a process and it can't be done within five seconds within a day. It's going to take a while, but trusting that there is a process and trusting that there will be a better outcome in the end. Girl, what are you, 23? (laughs) Yep. 23. (laughs) I wasn't thinking like that when I was 23. That, that's powerful. And 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 it's, it shows that you've thought through this. It shows that you uh, you really believe in that change is actually, um, it, it could happen. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, could, I could see in your passion. Um, this is great. Uh, I don't have any other questions. Kind of went through what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Is there anything you want to talk about? No, you know, I, I, I thought this was a great interview. <laughs> this was so fun. You're so on it. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> hey, you talk about so many good things that I, I need to like, I'm, I, I'm like, I need to talk about that, but then I forget and I have to come back to it because I'm so captivated by, by, um, by how passionate you are about this stuff. Thank and I'm you. just like, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thank you so I'm with much. You. I'm right there with you. Um, so cool. So how can, uh, how can folks find you, um, if they're looking, if they're, if they're looking to connect with you? Yeah, they can find me at my Instagram aesthetics underscore underscore athletics. Um, that's the platform I founded and podcast I landed. And then they can find me, um, at Gazi Musa on Instagram. Um, and I also have a website, Gazi Musa.com and then aesthetics is our website for our platform and podcast. So you can find me on LinkedIn too, if you'd like Twitter also there. <laughs> Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you something about Twitter. Yeah. Um, this is mostly because I want to know, but 
So it seems like you uh you retweet the female hustler a lot. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. Tell, tell me about yes, I actually I actually retweet and repost the female hustler nonstop because I think there's something about just like I when you read something and it inspires you to keep going. I think a lot of times, even in my adult life, like right after college, I wasn't necessarily reading in in like in getting information that was positive or information that was inspiring me and empowering me to like go out and do things. And so I follow the female hustler because I, what they post is just a lot about women, female empowerment and getting your ish done and just being excited and like working hard and hustling. Um, and I think it's inspired me cause I'll read something. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to go out and write this email or yeah, I'm going to go out and do this PowerPoint or do this brief because it empowers me. So I do actually retweet the female hustler actually a lot. <laughs> Yo, I love it. You got me super inspired right now. I'm about to go do something. Uh, well, thank you guys. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for joining me. Um, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me, Sid. 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 If you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a quick review. This helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it with them. That wraps up today's show. Thank you, and I'll see you on the next episode.